0: I once asked a question um, on Facebook, and I got a lot of answers about it. Um, It was an important question to me, uh, but people didn't understand the question. And the question was this, what is best in life? And people started giving me all these answers. You know, what's best in life? To enjoy uh, your work, to enjoy your family, to enjoy... Um, church, you know, all these things, we're getting all these answers, people giving their answers of what they saw was best in life. They would talk about, you know, um, just enjoying restaurants and it actually turned into a a bit of a nice post, right? People were giving me all these these, uh, lovely answers about how they love their family, it's the best thing in their life, how they love their church and it's the best thing in their life. They're giving me these answers about Um, what they saw as the best things in life. But really, I wasn't asking a question. I was quoting the greatest action movie of all time, Conan the Barbarian, right? Where Conan the Barbarian is asked the question, what is best in life? And Conan says, to crush your enemies, see them driven before you and hear the lamentations of the women, That is the actual correct answer to this this question, right? It's got nothing to do with, uh, I wasn't actually asking the the question. I was just quoting great action movies. I'm a big action movie fan, right? Love action movies. Who here likes an action movie? I know you're very surprised at me saying that I like action movies. I know that you thought that I was a fan of art house, cinema, uh, very highbrow, you know, yeah, I know you all thought that I was attending the French Film Festival, you know, that I only watched movies with subtitles, that uh, the, only, the only free-to-air channel that I would tune into is SBS. You know, you all thought this very highbrow thing, you thought I was the kind of guy that watches the Tour de France and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, you, you thought that I'm I, I, on the lookout on the Oscar list And you're very shocked right now that I'm an action movie aficionado. But I am. I know Charles is too. I mean, one of the very first conversations that me and Charles ever had back in the the Greensboro church was Charles asking me, do you like Marvel movies? I've got no one to see Marvel movies with. And I was very rude to Charles. (laughs) But I actually really love Marvel movies. That's the the thing, right? Like, I'm very much up for the action movie. What's the... I mean... If I was to ask you what the greatest action movie is, what would you say? Die Die. Oh, come on. I knew someone would say that. (laughs) Jordan Wakeland has been influencing you far too much. Now, Jordan and Greg, by the way, are over at our... East campus today, helping helping out Jordan's preaching, and and Greg is helping uh, lead the service over there. We had a few people away sick, and I'm over here because you had a few people away sick as well. So a bit such as uh, the COVID world. Die Hard is not the greatest action movie of all time. I mean, I did say Conan was, but again, I was wrong there. It's actually. Arnold Schwarzenegger is the greatest action star of all time, right? He's the, he's the pinnacle of action movies. And if you, if you want to um, argue that, you can fight him. Um, not me, go and fight him. You know, I'm sure he'll, he'll be able to teach you a thing or two. The greatest action movie of all time. Does anyone else have any other answers there? It's not an action movie. That's some historical fantasy thing. That's... It's a terrible movie. I fell asleep in Gladiator, actually. Forrest Gump? Charles doesn't, even, Charles doesn't even know what an action movie is. I was giving him encouragement saying he loves action movies, but he thinks Forrest Gump is an action movie. My gosh. I actually watched, um, watched uh, The Greatest Showman at Charles' house, and he asked so many questions through the whole thing. I had to go home and watch it again. When's the bearded lady going to sing? Like, I don't know. It's the first time I've watched this too. <laughs> <laughs> greatest action movie of all time. You... Terminator. Terminator. This is a man among men. <laughs> this is a man among men. Terminator, in fact Terminator 2, is the greatest action movie of all time. Closely followed by Rambo, First Blood. 80s action movies were where it was at, right? Muscle bound men. Get in their gigantic machine guns, running around, doing impossible things, you know, jumping off skyscrapers and landing on their feet and then continuing to run like these superhuman kind of guys, right? Action movies were where it was at in the 80s. I mean, Die Hard was okay, I guess. I mean, the fact that Bruce Willis had eight direct-to-video movies in the past year kind of tells you about the quality of the acting there. But we're talking about a... An era of truly great cinema action cinema now if you were to think about um, the Bible right now I'm going to ask another question and every you know the first reaction that you will have and this is used to be the same when I was a children 's pastor right the first reaction you'll all have is to say Jesus right because that is generally you know, you ask a kid a question in Sunday school, they'll just they'll just throw it out. And then the second one they'll throw out is Moses, just in case you know they got it wrong the first time. In fact, one time I asked the group of uh, kids that I had in my kids' church, "Hey, who who was on the front desk this morning?" And one kid yelled out, "Jesus!" <laughs> I'm like, "Farah, that's surprising." I mean, and then another kid on the other side of the room goes, "No, it was Moses." Like. So get rid of your first instinct and answer with your, with your second instinct. If I was to talk about action, right, and strength in the Bible, who would you think of? If I was talking about action and strength, the strong man, the Arnold Schwarzenegger of the Bible, Samson. Samson. He is the Arnold of the Bible, right? Long hair like Remy. Muscle bound like Remy. The strong man like Remy. Remy came to my house, ate me out of house and home. Couldn't eat for a week after Remy was there. Man, this this is a man who is well representative of Samson. His luscious locks, strength, good looks, everything, man. You've got it all. So, there's an advertisement for any single ladies out there. Remy. Samson is the action movie. Of the Bible, and we're going to hone in on a bit of this story this morning. This story of an exceptionally strong man. Let's turn uh, to the beginning of Samson's story. It's at Judges uh, Judges 13, from verse three, and it says this. Now, um, Samson's mother had been um, uh, had a visitation. Uh, From an angel here. And this is what uh, angel says. You are barren and childless. But you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now you see this is a very significant thing. In the Bible often very significant people are born to barren women. Very significant people. John the Baptist. Samuel. Samson. Born to women who were barren. You will give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is to never be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Before Samson's mum even conceived him, before um, he was born, she was visited by this angel. The angel said that Samson would be a Nazarite from the womb. The Nazarite vow is outlined actually in Numbers chapter 6 and is an individual and it's a voluntary choice. It's not something that is to be imposed on others, right? However, we see that it is not Samson's personal choice to be a Nazarite. He is chosen by God for this call. This is true for Samuel and this is true for John the Baptist as well. See, there's more similarities there. Born to a barren woman and called to be a Nazarite from the, room, the womb. Now you might be wondering, what is a Nazarite? What is this, this thing that um, Nathan is talking about this morning? Well, a Nazarite is someone who is uh, separated from others and consecrated to God. Although there is no mention of Nazarites before Samson, uh, there is evidence that they existed before the time of Moses because it's written about in numbers, right? And so the Nazarite need to do these three things. They need to abstain from wine or strong drink. Uh, They need to refrain cutting the hair on their head for the entire period of their Nazarite vow, which for Samson was from the womb, and the avoidance of contact with the dead. They weren't allowed to touch dead things. They weren't allowed to come in contact with anything that was dead. So another... A difference here in Samson's Nazarite vow to the normal vow is that his was a lifetime vow. It wasn't for a limited period of time as it was often taken by people. This was for his entire life. He was consecrated for, from the womb uh, for his entire life. A Nazarite, for the period of his entire vow, was not allowed to eat or drink. Um, Anything pertaining to grapes, this included raisins, juice, wine. They weren't even allowed to touch the skin of a grape. They would not cut their hair. They would not come near a dead body. And Samson's strength was related directly to his hair. Here is this judge, this strong man, known as Samson, appointed by God. And we learn across the course of this book that this guy is a um, big fan of rhymes. He's a big fan of riddles. Like he, he does something, he makes up a rhyme about it. He tells a riddle to people. Like this is, he has all the, all the trimmings of a great action movie, right? He's taunting his enemies. He's, he's strong, this guy. He has incredibly, uh, he's incredibly strong, incredible strength and lovely untouched hair. Locks of beauty. Now, actually, I, I, I was thinking about this the other day. Someone who uh, didn't ever cut their hair, um, the split ends on that are going to be amazing, right? The hairdressers in the house said amen. Like, the split ends are going to be, be terrible. It probably really had, like, three huge dreadlocks that had uh, matted into, into one. But I digress. This man was born for the purpose of... Of delivering the people of Israel from their enemies now often we read this little story right and we read it like a children's story because we often hear it as a children's story we often have these these key kind of um, people throughout the Old Testament who are like the children's pastors go to you got the Moses you jump in there with David right and it's always David and Goliath it's it's nothing else but David and Goliath in the in the children's pastor's um, uh, booklet. I'm saying this as a you know as a children's pastor. You know I, I'd pull out Samson whenever I wanted to engage a group of rowdy boys. Rowdy boys around, get out Samson. They're gonna listen to Mr. Strong, right? But if we read this as a children's story, if we read just the highlights, we miss something incredibly deep, something incredibly mature. This is something, this is a story that gives us a deep insight into how life uh, can and should uh, be lived and how we often live our lives. Now, this is less Dr. Seuss and more Game of Thrones. If you read this, this isn't like reading about... um, the action movie with the happy ending and the family walking out in the rain and everything's good, this is a tragedy. This story is a tragic story. Sure, Samson is nothing short of an action epic, but we see quite horrible things happen in the course of his life as well. We see his feats of strength... We see him tie two foxes together and set them alight to light the fields of the Philistines on fire. We see him essentially lose a bet and loot uh, thirty Philistine men to pay uh, the the price of the bet that he or the debt that he owed. We see him defeating a thousand men with the jawbone of an ass. We see great strength. I saw some of you smile then. She and I saw that smile. <laughs> we see great strength come upon Samson. But Samson's story is essentially a tragedy. If we were to look at him as a pure literary figure, he was flawed and he was complex. He was a complex ruling hero. He achieved great things, but he was also greatly prideful. He had shortcomings that would come back to haunt him. He tested the limits of his Nazarite vow. So let's consider that in Judges 14. Samson is attacked by a lion as he walks through the vineyards on his way to marry a Philistine woman. And the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he tears it apart with his bare hands. Later, when he's walking through the vineyard, he finds the lion with honey in its carcass and he scoops it out to eat it. This becomes the source of a riddle that he asks some Philistine men later in the story. But let's let's have a closer look at what's happening here. He scoops honey from the carcass of a lion that he killed. He was a Nazarite. What's he not meant to touch? The dead. He scoops honey out of the carcass of a lion. And where was this lion that he killed? In a vineyard. What's he not meant to touch? Grapes. So here's Samson in a place full of things that he's not meant to touch, scooping honey out of the thing he's not meant to touch. He was in a vineyard, though he was not... Uh, meant to touch alcohol at all or even grapes. Um, he, he, um, uh, He was pushing the limits of his vow by pulling the honey out of the carcass. And of course, there's nuance to all of this. There's nuance to the law. But here is a picture of the beginnings of compromise. Compromise in marriage is marrying the enemy. Compromise in where he chose to be, in a vineyard. Compromise in what he chose to touch, reaching into carcasses to pull out food. But God was still using this flawed and very complex. Man. And thank God for that, right? Because whether or not we like to admit it or not, we are all flawed, we are all complex, we are all imperfect people. And God still uses us to do His will. Now, it's important to note that unlike what the hallmark movie of Samson uh, will uh, depict Delilah was not actually samson 's wife we, we we think Delilah was the woman that Samson married. he actually was married to another woman from Timnath. She was a Philistine, and her father and mother his father and mother did not approve of the marriage but judges fourteen four tells us that samson 's marriage was God's will. It was so that God would rile up the Philistines against Israel. Her father would give away his new bride uh, to one of his companions, throwing Samson into a rage. And a series of events happened from that rage, which ended in in him defeating a thousand Philistines in one battle. Samson then judged Israel for 20 years. We read the story of Samson like it happened like this. This, 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 this. One or two years, maybe. Maybe a couple of weeks, who knows. 20 years he ruled Israel. And as a judge, Samson had various important roles to play as a judge of Israel. It included proclaiming God's word. It included protecting Israel From internal corruption. It included military protection of Israel, like he performed in defending against the Philistines. Yet, we read that this man who had been set apart to. Uh, Proclaim God's word, to protect against corruption, to protect Israel, also went places he shouldn't, touched things that he shouldn't. He married a Philistine woman. And we read in Judges 16 that Samson went to a prostitute. He didn't go there for a discussion. He went to a prostitute and yet he was still... The judge of Israel. Samson would meet Delilah later. She was another Philistine, but from another town called Sarech. Can you see here that Delilah was only one decision in a whole line of compromises? The compromise started back long ago when Samson decided to touch and be where he shouldn't. Delilah was the end of the compromise road. Now we know Samson was undone by Delilah. We know the story. Sometime later, this is Judges 16:4, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1100 shekels of silver. Here, Delilah is approached by the rulers of the Philistines who offer her money if she can find the source of Samson's strength. She approached Samson and asked him directly the source of his great strength. Samson told her that if he was bound with green cords, then he would have the strength of any other man. So what did she do? She tied him up with green cords that she was given by the Philistine rulers and she tied up Samson yelled out, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And then he woke and broke those cords like they were nothing. Now, I can imagine Norm doing this, really. Most things, Norm, I think if I tried to tie Norm up, he would uh, just break it uh, like nothing, and maybe he would break me too. That's, um, <laughs> he is a strong man. Like, if I'm looking around, there's the, the muscle-bound men. I admire you all. I, I wish I was one of you, um, but I am the donut-bound man. Um so here in this moment of deception right Delilah is probably afraid Samson's going to like destroy her for this she's been found out in her deception she's been found out that she was trying to get the better of Samson yet her reaction is accusatory to Samson she accused him of not loving her again Samson is asked how he could be bound Samson told her this time it needed to be new ropes that had never been used of course she ties him up and he easily breaks those when the Philistines come in to capture him now this is where you might think maybe Samson was a little bit thick (laughs) the guy has been asked how does what's your strength he's been tied up with green cords right and he broke that, and he thought, "Oh, maybe, maybe it's not what what I thought. Maybe it's just, you know, the, her way of telling me that she loves me." But then he goes back again, and she does it again, right? And so he breaks them. Then again, she asked. It takes place two more times. This is I'm thinking this guy's not the brightest in the uh, in the classroom here. Third time, he said. Um, that she needed to weave seven locks of hair. Then she braided his hair and secured it with a pin, but Samson still had great strength. The final time, Samson told her the truth. She said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and you haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick of it. So he told her everything. Now, it could be that Samson had come to believe that he actually didn't really need his hair in order to preserve his strength. I mean, he could have come to believe that it was just about the promise made between his parents and the Lord, and his strength was actually his own. Maybe he became to believe um, that it didn't really matter what he did because he touched the carcass and he didn't lose his strength. He was in the vineyard and he didn't lose his strength. He went to a prostitute and he didn't lose his strength. He married Philistine women and he didn't lose his strength. Perhaps over the course of the time, his compromise came to make him believe that he was his own strength. Samson got closer to the truth every time Delilah asked him. Do you notice that? First green cords. Eventually it got to braiding his hair It's pretty close, right? He's suddenly directing towards where his strength came from. And as he slept, his hair was cut and his strength was taken. Judges 16.20 says, When Samson awoke, he did not even know that his strength, nor the presence of the Lord, had left him. What a sad moment. What a sad moment. He woke up. He didn't even know, didn't even know the presence of the Lord was gone, didn't know his strength was gone, probably thought he would get away with it, but his flaws, his compromises had undone him. Giving into to his desires hadn't robbed him of his strength before, yet now he was captured by the enemy due to his poor decision. You know, it can be the same way for us. Our bad decisions can capture us, undo us, they can rob us. We can be captured by the enemy, by bad decisions, by addiction, by all this stuff. And it often starts with small acts of compromise that slowly rob us of our strength. Think of it this way. Poor life choices, our choices that divert from how God calls us to live, rob us of our strength. And even if we don't notice it robbing us of our strength, eventually as our compromises grow, our strength begins to diminish. Think of our financial areas of life. Poor poor decision making and spending in a careless way can lead us losing the capacity to function well financially. If we compromise in small areas of finances which start to build into big compromises financially, eventually it captures us into making worse life decisions and it impacts our other areas, how we can eat and so on and so on. In turn, it affects our body. You know, we talk about this in um, in development work. Now, I work for a non-profit called um, Prison Fellowship at this point of time and we talk about sometimes how people get captured in poor decision making and their poor decision making with finances causes them to make Even worse decisions financially. So they make a poor decision about uh, buying a car, they buy a car that's cheaper. Than, um, than, than it should be because they can't really afford a car. Then the car breaks down and they can't afford RACV to come and take it, so they leave it on the side of the road. And then when they get a huge fine for leaving their car on the side of the road and it's has um, been destroyed, they can't afford to pay the fine. You see how the financial errors here start to compound? That first compromise has become a huge issue and wane on their financial strength by the end. Think of our body when we don't care for our body, our physical strength deteriorates. Let alone when we abuse it with drugs, alcohol, when we have, make terrible food choices. It usually takes hold incrementally, doesn't it? It takes hold incrementally. But addiction takes hold over time. Very rarely does addiction take hold like that. Over time, worse and worse growing. Think of our spiritual life. When we play spiritual games, when we mess around with witchcraft, when we graft unbiblical belief to our faith, we become spiritually weak. When we do, don't do any spiritual lifting, any prayer, any study, any anything that would um, uh, build us spiritually, we grow spiritually weak. And this is the thing, you don't just generally start out hanging out in witchcraft, right? Like not many people start off going, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do some you know, crazy stuff coming out of a ch- the church world. Where we really start to uh, grow weak is when we just don't do anything. We come to church on Sunday and our spiritual lifting during the week just doesn't happen. We don't open our Bibles. We don't pray. You know, I'm not talking legalism here. You don't need to uh, do X, Y, Z to be saved, right? But if we do no spiritual lifting, we're not going to grow any spiritual strength. You ask any weightlifter whether or not you're going to maintain your strength by achieving a a certain weight category of, of lifting and then just stop I mean, are you going to are you going to maintain your strength? I mean, Jim will tell you no. You're not going to maintain your strength if you're not doing any lifting, right? You need to actually uh, build and strengthen yourself. Think of our relationships. Think of. Uh, If we're mean-spirited, if we're angry, if we're abusive, if we are thoughtless or or unfaithful to our spouse with our bodies, our hearts or our minds, it's usually started on small compromises earlier in the relationship. You find people who are having full-on affairs who are leaving their wives, who are in this terrible situation, usually started out by looking at things on the internet that they shouldn't be looking at. And let me go there, guys. If you think those compromises in the privacy of your study when your wife isn't looking or when your husband isn't looking isn't going to take an effect on your marriage, it is. It is. Let me tell you from the side of a man who lost his wife, his relationship, his everything from starting with small compromises. Invest in checking out what we are compromising on because small compromises can do us in. Our relationships will grow weak and wither away when we don't care for them. Think about our mental health. Our mental health suffers, our strength of mind suffers where we don't take time to nurture our health, right? Where we push ourselves too hard, where we take too little time, where we don't practice Sabbath, where we don't process emotions well, then our mental health starts to suffer. We lose strength when we strengthen our sin, And we strengthen our sin through small acts of compromise. Because what is a small act of compromise at the beginning starts to incrementally grow as our sin begins to grow. And when our strength is gone, how easy is it for the enemy to capture us? How easy is it for sin to take root in our lives when an area has grown weak? It takes hold slowly, little by little, but eventually a Delilah overcomes you. And our sin will, if we don't confront it, uh, tie our calling to the enemy's temple, so to speak. Where, where have you become weak? Where have you begin to let sin Overcome you. Where are you starting to make compromises? This is where we find Samson. Defeated. Tied to the enemy's temple. Samson was captured by the Philistines. They gouged out his eyes and made a public spectacle of him. They took him to Gaza and made him grind grain in the prison house. Weak. A trophy Of his enemies, banned if I could get you to come back up. His sin, his bad decisions, his vices had brought Israel's strong man down. And that's where we find Samson at his lowest point calling out to God, If you would renew my strength. Where are you calling out in your weakness? Are you trying to lift yourself? out of your problems or are you calling out to God? Judges 16 verses 21 to 22, the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding grain in the prison, but the hair on his head began to grow after it had been shaved. But the hair on his hair head began to grow Samson's hair grew again The Philistines held a celebration. They rejoiced about the capture of Samson. Samson was publicly displayed as a trophy chained to the pillars of their temple. And in that moment, Samson, essentially a prisoner of his own sin and compromise, Samson calls out to God and he says, Lord, if you would give me strength for one more time, If you would give me strength for one more time. He had a servant stationed in between two pillars. And Samson pushed against the columns which brought the building down. The Bible says that in his death, he defeated more Philistines than he did in his life. Now Samson did not always do what was right. But... God used Samson to bring peace and order to the country of Israel. How much better would have it been for Samson if he obeyed the desires of God rather than the desires of his heart? Samson's one good decision, one good decision at the end of his life brought a reckoning to the enemy. One good decision to call out to God returned him to strength, but that was his last act. What area do you need to call out to God for strength in today? What area do you need to make a change in today? What area do you need God to move in today? Because when we call out to God, He answers. Maybe you've grown weak. But when the Spirit of God comes upon us, something changes. Strength is renewed. Call out to God in your weakness. Call out to God. Choose to do what is right. And in our weakness, it's never too late to change. It's never too late to call out to the god who hears and make that one good decision to take a step back towards doing right because we might be a prisoner of our own sin we might feel like we've become a prisoner of our own compromise but just like samson our strength can return like samson's hair began to grow but Samson's hair began to grow. What does that look like for you? What does that look like for you today? He spent spent erratically and he couldn't pay his bill, but his willpower began to strengthen. She struggled to deal with the painful cards dealt for her in life, and she struggled to do it sober, but an alcohol addiction begins to come under control. He thought his marriage was over, but his marriage began to feel life in it again. We can be like that. We can be captured by our choices. We can be captured by our pain. We can be captured by our compromise. We can be captured by our sin, but our God works in our life. Our God hears. What do you need to call out to Him for this morning? What do you need to call out for? What is that area that you need to lift up to our God? Because I can tell you today that your story is not over. Your story is not done. You might think that your marriage is over today, but God. You might think that your finances cannot be moved, but God. You might think that you have lost your strength for good, but God. You might think your faith is at the end of the road, but God. But, but, but. Our God is a God who moves in the situations that feel like they are over. The Philistines, the enemy thought they had captured Samson, but God moved and it was God's victory in the end that is our victory our victory is the victory of God in our life our victory is the victory of our God who brings our strength God uses flawed and broken people just because you have a past does not mean that you do not have a great future ahead of you. God used a man whose life was full of compromise, whose life was littered with bad choices and that's just me, right? God used a man whose life was full of bad decisions, bad choices and compromise in Samson. Do you know what? God has used many men who have made bad decisions, who have compromised many women because all of our lives, right? Every single person in this room, I'm sorry to tell you, our lives are full of bad decisions and compromise. But God, but God, God uses Samson and He can use you today. Thank God that He uses people who fall short. Amen. Because we all do. And when we choose to reach out to God and ask Him to renew our strength, God Despite his shortcomings, Samson is listed in the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11. Think about that. Think about these shortcomings in Samson's life. But he is listed among the heroes of the faith. One good decision, one step away from compromise and a step towards him. Let God's strength renew in his life. Can you stand with me today? What is that area? What is that area for you? What is that area that you need God to move in? What is that area that you can say, but God, but God, but God? Father God, we thank You that You are a God who moves into the broken situations of our lives. You haven't left us or abandoned us, Lord God but You are a God who hears when we call out to You. You are a God who hears when we call out to You. So God in every situation, Lord God, where there is sickness, Lord God, we know You are there. You are saying, but I, where there is financial difficulty, Lord God, You are there, Lord God, You hear our cries. You are, have not uh, abandoned us, Lord God. You hear, Lord God, with there's relationship woes, Lord God. You are there, Lord God. Whatever the situation is, Lord God, You are the one who can interrupt that, Lord God, and bring healing and wholeness, Lord. Father God, we pray for breakthrough, breakthrough in these areas, Lord God. Lord God, breakthrough in these areas today.